Welcome to the eGovernance Academy podcast to discover the future of governance. eGovernance Academy has assisted digital transformation globally in more than 130 countries. Our experts will share their insights and worldwide examples on how digital technology could benefit every society. Tune in for the Digital Government Podcast every Wednesday. Welcome to this week's issue of the Digital Government Podcast, presented by eGovernance Academy. And today, the host is Federico Plantera. I'm a journalist, researcher, and sociologist. And uh, with me in the room, there is Hannes Astok, Director for Development and Strategy at eGovernance Academy. And today we will talk about the lessons learned from assisting the digital transformation of governments throughout the years of experience of eGovernance Academy. Hi, Hannes. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. I mean, welcome back since you're a uh, pretty fixed actor, let's say, of the of the sessions. And uh, we should first start um, saying that we worked with 130 countries so far. So either assisting projects or driving projects of digital transformation. And today, talking about the lessons learned, then uh, one of the main overarching conclusions that we can draw already is the fact that we could develop a method or an approach to digital transformation into these projects, but the outcome of these projects is highly context-dependent. So what can we say about all these projects that we've done in so many different countries? What are the differences between them? What we can observe from this process? Yeah, thank you. It's a great question because every project, what we do, every training we do is, is a, bit, uh, a bit different from others. And, um, and as you mentioned already, the context is very important. Um, if we are starting to work with one or another country or, or launching another project in, in the country, it's always a set of things what we need to consider to be successful. And this is what we have learned during our, our journey. It is first that, um, first of all that uh, there should be clear beneficiary for the project. It cannot be that... Uh, but there is a great donor, whoever it is, and saying that, you know, guys, in your country, in this country, you need a government, but they don't want it, actually. So it should be in a way that whatever we do, whatever services, support, consultancy we offer, there should be clear demand from certain country also. And this also means that there should be a clear team of people who really want to receive the support, either it's consultancy, either it's technical solution or or whatever type of training. So so first of all, yes, there will be clearly interests and clearly defined beneficiary who really wants it. Mm-hmm. And this actually comes down also to defining some misconceptions, let's say, about uh, digital transformation that we have encountered along, way, along the way. For example, one is about the fact that building a digital society at large, it's not limited to just developing e-government. And it's also not just limited to being a technical project, this being a technical venture. So what, what, what can we say about this and also about the most frequent misconceptions that you have encountered so far? Yeah, it's, uh, it's each and every con- country somehow counts or considers e-government or perceives e-government in different way. For some of them, it's just um, you know better connectivity. Maybe uh, for some countries, it's um, it might be really sophisticated digital services. For some of them, it's just 
kind of digital communication of a government with the citizens, meaning like through Facebook, websites, whatever. And it's all okay. It's it's all those all are parts of e-government. So so and digital transformation. So so we just need to figure out what is the a certain level of one or another country and what are their actual problems they want to solve and the problems they want to address. And um, and in this sense, it's very important to like contextualize whatever we do with a certain country's needs, certain country's development level and certain country's understanding what they want to get out from this uh, digital transformation, what is tradi- whatever digital transformation is it for them. And to this end, there is already a very important aspect that you mentioned that is a bit on the intersection between um, business organization, let's say, or the reorganization of business processes and a human component also in digital transformation, which is the fact that you should identify the institutions and the key people who are supposed to not only carry out the project, so not only execute it, but also drive it. So what can we say about the topic of... This aspect, this human resource, let's say, more type of aspect of digital transformation and the leadership and support that is necessary to complete these projects. Yeah, there is like two aspects what we need to consider. But first about these like technical skills of people. And, um, and this is what we definitely need. At least there should be a team of people who are at least good in in technical issues so we can understand and 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 run the technical solutions but it's at the same time it's kind of a misunderstanding about the government that it's poorly technology and it's very much dependent on technology yes it is dependent on technology but success is not dependent only on technology right but the success is dependent on the uh, change management and and this should be driven by the leaders both in like a mid-level, high-level, and finally high-level political leaders who should drive this change. And, and this is a bit different, a, a kind of difference between the, the business organizations and governments. In business organizations, it's pretty clear that if your boss is saying you to do it in the way, everyone is accepting the order and starting to work and starting to make the changes. In the government, it's not in the way. There might be that one minister is saying, let's say minister of ICT in one country, is saying to the government officials that we need to implement digital solutions. We need to work in another way. And what what do you think what is happening? Okay, those guys who are working for this certain minister directly in his ministry, yes, they are following this order. But all of us are saying, ah, who you are? You're just another minister. You're not our minister. So this means that <laughs> government is different animal. So to make the change happening across the government, it should be like a prime minister or president who is saying that. Mm-hmm. Now, government officials, listen to me carefully. <laughs> we need now to change. Now we need to start the digital journey and start to use digital solutions and tools. And even if they say it, it's still a high opportunity that endless, there is an endless number of excuses to mm-hmm. say why we cannot do it. Mm-hmm. It's not in the business that if we do it, we do it, we are getting motivated, we are getting better paid, we are getting higher turnover. Government is monopoly in certain countries. So this means that there should be other motivation 
aspects available also. Either you are, in some countries, you are doing like annual evaluation for office staff, so you can measure with digital skills. You can motivate those who are starting to use it um, faster, whatever bonuses and whatever. So, so motivating government staff is extremely important in each and every country to move them forward, to start to push them thinking differently. To, because what we have seen in many countries with government officials are not very interested about innovation because innovation may kill their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is high risk for them. Actually, digital government never killed any, any jobs immediately. It may take <laughs> never time. Never killed anyone. <laughs> and never killed anyone as a person, yeah. But never, never quit any jobs in the next day. It may, it's making structural changes during the next five years, but not eliminating any job next day. So, but this is the fear of the government officials. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the success factors is to find the motivation for the government officials to use their, those uh, uh, solutions and services, whether digital. And it clearly should be high-level political drive, high-level political will and support to those changes. Apart from not killing jobs in the public sector, actually, in some cases, it might even create new opportunities for the establishment of new agencies or this sort of like director's chair from which the whole project and the whole process can be can be managed, that can be driven, can be monitored, such as in the case of Ukraine, for example, where there is a ministry for, of digital transformation, who's also the deputy minister, or even the case of Kyrgyzstan, for example, which is one of the countries where we actively operated. And in Kyrgyzstan, uh, in two years' time, the country was able to put online and move online up to 181 services that are offered through an interoperability platform. And they created something that is called the Electronic Interoperability Center. So how did it go in that case, for example? That, was, that is one of these concrete cases. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's creating a new type of jobs. And, and I think this is lesson learned also, not only for developing countries, but also for Estonia, that you actually need much more IT stuff than, than earlier. Because it's not only like a traditional IT stuff who are assisting you to switch on your computer or if you spill your coffee to have a keyboard bringing you a new, new keyboard. It's much more like kind of mixed, um, mixed competencies, what you need, like understanding of uh, digital government nature and understanding how to re-engineer the processes, how to use the existing data for the various services, what should be provided for the citizens and businesses. So, so it's, it's a new set of skills what should be developed. And, and unfortunately, you cannot learn it from university because it's pretty specific. So, so you must graduate from university and then work a couple of years for the government and then you start to understand how it's functioning. But I want also to underline about technical skills that... Um, it's not only government officials. It's very important to have also cooperation with private companies, like private software development companies, hardware companies, uh, cloud companies, whatever, and to get this, this um, competence also from them and share the, the government solutions development with them and procure it, actually. Yeah. So, so stronger the ICT sector is in, in one or another country, it's much more easier for the government to get support, to get new solutions, to get 
new um, ideas how mm-hmm. to develop uh, how to develop uh, e-government. So this kind of cooperation is essential. And and we have seen, unfortunately, several countries where private sector, ICT sector is very small or even non-existing. Mm-hmm. And it creates actually troubles for the government because there is no support available. So you need to develop all the competencies inside the government. But motivation inside the government, including salaries, sometimes are pretty low. So to, to hire mm-hmm. IT experts to the government, again, could be the problem. So this kind of cooperation is very essential and uh, and very valuable and those countries who are using this kind of cooperation models is it just procurement is it long-term framework contracts and support contracts they are much more successful actually yeah because in this case we're talking about public private partnerships which is uh, one of the salient uh, components or even like mm, determining factors of a success story in terms of e-governance and in terms then even more of development of a digital society as a whole, because it extends beyond providing services or beyond just the government, beyond the the public sector, but at large indeed to the economy and to money also that is invested in the economy. So when we combine indeed the public and the private forces, let's say in the sense, in the goals, the tasks, uh, but also the responsibility for the carrying out of these projects, then, of course, the returns, let's say, are much more distributed in that sense. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. And then clearly, if if there is a lot of software developers in in your country, you can be much less successful because you can procure much more easily the, the solutions. There is much more manpower available, and also, like you can you can hire people for the government from private sector. So mm-hmm. we are happy to float to and back yeah. from the government and back to the private sector. In Estonia, like we do not have very this kind of strong um, you know, public sector career model that you enter when you are like graduating from university and, and you then you are there. retiring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we are, it's, it's much more dynamic, and people are happy to to come. Like meanwhile, I don't know for three years to work with the government to understand mm-hmm. how this how this animal is functioning, and then return to the private sector and do better business with the government also. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. But let's talk about a place where maybe this uh, this topic of human resources, let's say, has some more complications, which is actually the case of the Pacific Islands, because we did a lot of. Uh, I mean, uh, we did quite some trainings and projects in the Pacific Islands. You spent there. Some some months last year actually which i assume was pretty fine while in the meantime pretty, pretty hot <laughs> yes yeah, pretty hot while in the meantime it was winter in estonia yeah so uh for example what can we now we're moving from uh, something that is more like continental and bigger countries such as for example we mentioned ukraine we mentioned kyrgyzstan uh we're moving to a very remote place let's say as compared to europe where there are different types of problems but this topic of the human resources is definitely one of them so what can we what did you what did you see what were the main uh, critical points let's say um to the end of digital transformation in the pacific islands yeah those islands are definitely not 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 similar or there are variations and difference differences between islands but but it's um, it's similar even in some sense to Estonia, that uh, being remote, remote being uh, with very small number of population, it brings you another challenges actually, rather than country of uh, twenty, forty, or sixty million people. Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, there is a problem of uh, like market situation. Mm-hmm. So even even. Y- 
many cover many many big companies are not interested about many big companies are not interested at all to deal with small countries mm. because it's like non-existing market for them yeah so it creates a problems to to get hardware to get software to get attention either <laughs> from mm-hmm. the big vendors and resources and, both and, human and economic yeah and then the second and the even bigger problem okay they can deliver you boxes basically it's mm-hmm. not a problem they sell you boxes and deliver it and then send engineers to set them up but the biggest problem is actually like a software a lack of software engineers mm. and and not only for the government but also like non-existing private sector in some countries in some countries it's um, it's uh, somehow existing and they are in much better situation for, but for those what are very small there is like a couple of people just working for the government as a, as IT experts and this is this is like whole market mm-hmm. and and this is uh, i think it's a high risk but the, how to mitigate it it's just education and we see that like people in kiribati uh islands they do a lot uh, to educate uh, like a technician level from the vocational schools mm-hmm. what are what are local ones and also to educate people in in our islands in fiji also in australia in, uh, in new, Ze- new zealand mm-hmm. and motivate them to come back after they have graduated from university or college to their country mm-hmm. it might be challenging again because uh, <laughs> because uh, the salaries what to young people can get later i don't know in australia or in singapore or in regions somewhere else might be um, might be much higher mm-hmm. but at the same time there is a kind of homesick <laughs> yes no no, no of <laughs> people course people starting homesick so we are returning sooner or later so but it should be government should be thinking about it and then also creating kind of um, i don't know motivation schemes for the students to return so if we were to sum up then today's issue mm. of the digital government podcast as we say lessons learned so um, can we make a listicle let's say <laughs> of the of the lessons learned which are many to be honest yeah. <laughs> almost as many as the countries that we worked in but what are let's say the overarching conclusions that we can draw yeah, yeah i think that first of all the project should fit to the context of a country so so it should be in time and and maybe a little bit ahead of time to 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 develop the country not to do the old things but it should be contextualized both culturally technically but also religiously and even uh, secondly there should be clear beneficiary who wants to have those products services what uh, what the governance academy or any other donor supported project is provided and someone must be very interested to get it must be enthusiastic and must believe that this will develop his country well also there should be clear political leadership so who is supporting those changes because digital transformation and the government brings a lot of changes to uh, existing work processes so those processes and change of those processes should be supported and and finally the the human capacity factor should be considered also when already designing the project so what country can afford but also like um, pushing the country to think how they can be better in future how they can have better human resources better skilled engineers business analysts designers in their country or available for the country to to make the country better 
Perfect. And with this prescription, let's say, we wrap it up here today. Uh, thanks from, from me, Federico Plantera, and thanks to Annes for talking about the lessons learned. And uh, tune in to the next issue of the Digital Government Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by eGovernance Academy. Tune in on next Wednesday.